1: listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening. This is Shereen Rice of Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. I'm pre-recording tonight so you cannot call in. Uh, if you are listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me, email me at shereencwr at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. It, let me spell that for you. S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. Okay. I want to do a shout out tonight. Uh, one to Trevor uh, for allowing me to use his ARA studios. Again, thank you for letting us use your studio. And also a uh, shout out to Lisa Brierly. She uh, I had a heart attack uh, recently, and she's been one of my guests and an amazing advocate for domestic violence. And I want her to get well soon, so a special shout-out to her. And then I want to shout-out to my daughter, Nikita, for visiting me and being wonderful, the wonderful woman that she is. She just came down through Missouri and on her way to Washington, so I want to uh, thank her for that. And I would like to remind everyone that my show is on every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central Time. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want to direct link to those services, you may go to the CWR homepage on the website cwrtalknetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline at one 800 799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. Okay, we're going to go to our public service announcement.
0: Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel, and a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTechStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration.
1: Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shireen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome. This is Shereen Rice, and I will be uh, talking to April Tribe Duke tonight, and she has some amazing things to share. Okay, so April... Juke escaped the abyss of abuse through Pinpoints of Light. Through her book, Pinpoints of Light, she coaches the battered, beaten, and broken discover a dis, yeah, the strength to change from victim to victor for advocates to understand their impact and for supporters to understand their values so they can become beacons of light. April has experienced homelessness with five children, three of who also have autism following their escape, yet she remained focused and earned her master's degree after leaving domestic violence. April has three main areas of focus, healing and supporting. She is a victor over abuse who helps the battered, beaten, and broken discover their life so that they can heal. She also empowers friends, family members, and coworkers with support skills so that they can be the ultimate supporter and help. Uh, Help them become The victor in the light In life Parents is also one of her focuses She is a mom of uh, Of special needs children Who teaches parents To release their light within To guide their children with skills So that they can thrive in school Social settings and in life And teachers She is an educational relationship builder Who helps teachers connect With their students So that Uh, Learning can flow and all can reach their potential April is remarried to Scott and has four more children Two who also are deaf with him She is now the mother of nine April has taken her pinpoints of light Turned them into a beacon of light to enlighten and illuminate the world Welcome, April Who is now in the green room still? Hold on Welcome, April Hello
0: Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. I'm
1: sorry. I I always forget that that my machine just throws them right into the green room. Yeah, no worries.
0: So my first question is for you. Why did you write your book? So I wrote my book for two specific reasons. One is to give hope to anyone that is in any kind of abusive situation that there is a way out even though you just are you know, oppressed by such intense darkness. And the abuse can be anything. It can be all of it. It can be any of it, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, financial, uh, anything like that. And wherever right. you are, we want you to know that there is a pinpoint of hope. The light never goes out. We just have to focus in on it, and then we can get out. And so that's the first reason. And the second reason is to open up the conversation, right? Right. Finally, talk about that elephant that's been in the room for thousands of years, right? The way we yeah. treat each other can be horrific. And it usually boils down to someone else's pain, trauma, event, something has happened. And in order for them to have control, to know what to do, to feel better about themselves, this other side really starts to come out. And unfortunately, it comes out in ways that are just terrible. So we want to open up the conversation, have it boldly and bluntly, and not just talk about the events of what happened next, what happened next, more than, Let's see why this is happening in the first place and let's change the statistics right now. So, those are the two reasons. Awesome. And what are the statistics in um, Texas? The statistics in Texas follow very much the same throughout the United States. Right. um, Where we have, you know, the one in four who are in abuse and the domestic. Um, homicide rate is a little bit lower. It's at about 37%, which is horrible. And it still creates such intense um, problems, you know, overall through, through work, through, through, I mean, just a crazy amount of things. So for example, one of the statistics that we have unearthed is um, over $9.7 billion is lost annually For companies in the United States and that's due to people um, not being able to show up to work on time because of their injuries or because maybe their partner hid the car keys from them Mm. or at the last minute well I'm not going to do the babysitting or I'm not going to drop the children off the daycare so they're scrambling so they're late they're they're missing work Um, they have to do hospital they're they're in the hospital Uh, there's court dates that they miss all of these kinds of things So $9.7 billion. That's huge. And the last statistics I want to leave with people to impact, because I think some people check out, they're like, oh, domestic violence. Well, I don't know anyone. That's not for me. Um, No problem. It doesn't impact me, so I'm okay. But really the point is, is that every single mass shooting in the United States of America has one common denominator, and it is domestic violence. Whether they themselves grew up in it or they are the perpetrator of it, every person that has created and caused a mass shooting in the United States has that commonality. It's It's not mental illness. It's domestic violence. So when people think, oh, well, it's not my problem, really, it is now bleeding onto you. We had this big discussion in August when, after it was August 5th and 6th, we had the two large mass shootings happen one day right after the next. And so many people were like, why is this happening? And there's no quick and easy answer. We know the big answer, it's domestic violence, because if you can't satisfy the control wherever you are, you are going to display it in a way to make sure – that people will know and unfortunately it occurs like that yeah let me ask you a question though um,
1: those that commit the violence you're saying they don't have a mental illness
0: what we're saying is some have some aren't but for the longest time we thought that was in every single situation was the criminality right. Right. and it's actually domestic violence so in my opinion I feel that if you live with such Intense need for control and pain. I feel like you do have some mental health struggles, but I am not a licensed, co- you know, psychiatrist to give out all those labelings. All we know is what's based on the research and what they can see is the absolute common denominator. Is that right? Right. Um, yeah, that's my PhD
1: in that area, and as I study it, it looks like that um, everyone has either they're unhealthy either behaviorally right. or with a, dis, uh, a personality disorder. So I'm yeah. not saying unhealthy uh, equates into mental illness. I'm saying unhealthy. They're still unhealthy. They're still right. Something's something off. wrong. <laughs> right. Something's way off. Okay. My next question is uh, why do you feel that it is important to get your story out to millions of
0: people? I feel that it is really important to get the story out So that, like I said on the second part, we can have the conversation. The conversations need to open up. So many of us in so many of our societies, we want to kick that back towards the home. Oh, that's, you know, like I said, that's not our problem, that's somebody else's problem. The more we can open it up and expose it for what it is, it's no longer a woman's issue or something that just happens in a domestic Area. No, this is now impacting business, impacting your, your opportunity to go to the grocery store or go to Walmart. All of a sudden the shooting happens. What's, what's going on here? We have to have the big conversations and it's not to blame. I think sometimes when we open up the idea of having a conversation, we think, okay, where is the commonality and let's go for it. Let's blame. Let's, let's shame. Let's change it all right there. This is a sticky, messy, complicated thing because it involves humanity. <laughs> we right. are sticky, messy people. We just are. So the, the idea that we can control this through legislation and we can control it through this law or that law is ridiculous. Now, right. I'm not saying that laws are not important. What I am saying is we need to go back to the root of this, which is family. And if we can break the cycle family to family, we have then saved generations. I agree. And why don't we
1: have more um, things on the family, like conferences on the family? Why don't we uh, have more about developing and strengthening the family? Because you're right. Most of it comes from that, though not all of it. Most of it does come from that at some point.
0: Right. At some point. The I would say that the conversations and the meaning towards with family, I think that answer is too easy. If that makes sense, I right? Said, oh well, that that's too easy. Let's look for something more complex that's happening, yeah. and really going on here. If we really pull back and look at the large, large picture of it all, it's truly a war on children. Because right. almost in every circumstance, we can go back to in some part of the childhood. Maybe it didn't even happen within that home, but there is an event. There is a pain. There is a trauma of some sort that Mm -hmm. alternates your ability to see your own worth and your own value. And if you don't know that, then you're in search for something. And if you're in search with this pain and anguish, you are in search then for control and that opens up the door for doubt for fear for anxiety to just start to rain and we are social beings so we have to connect with others just for your your daily life you have to do that and so in that way when you do that and if you can figure out a way to control something else or someone else regardless if you vocally know what your pain is or you've stuffed it down and it's starting to grow into its own we'll say unhealthiness possibly to turn into some mental health issues, we've got problems. So this war on the children is massive. That's why we have to bring it back to this. Because almost in every circumstances, I'll I'll pause for a second. In my book, my first four or five chapters are all about his background, my Mm -hmm. ex-husband. I wanted to show and have people understand where these things come from. Now, it's not an absolute. We do have some outliers on the absolute fringe that are truly psychopathic. But for the most part, the bulk of what's happening is that there was something, and many, several times, and it doesn't matter what uh, we categorize the event is, uh, or excuse me, as, if it's traumatic, pain-causing, and abusive to that individual, and they interpret it as such, and then go out to seek a way to numb it or control things it's caused the problem some people think oh so if for example if they were sexually abused as a child then they're going to become um, abusers themselves not always exactly true right
1: they carry
0: a lot of shame and pain with that now an outcome of that definitely is there. The likelihood and percentages rise up, but it's not an absolute because we still have options and choices. So.
1: Wow. That's awesome. Um, do you feel that it is really possible? Uh, what might block your path? How do you push past that?
0: How do people who are in abuse push past their block? What do you mean? Yeah. Um, what what do you think is
1: uh, yeah yeah ha- what might block their path to getting out?
0: Gotcha. I feel that what I experienced is is probably something a common thread through many people who've been in an abusive situation. We feel our self worth and our light is so dim. How could we even? Well, we probably just deserve this. We probably just cause this. We have a lot of that fear and doubt that, that just starts to cycle in, and, and that's a big block. Then there's the absolute physical things that block us, right? For myself, I was financially so destitute, there was no way to get out. There were times where we were completely isolated up in a mountainous valley, and there's no gas in the car. So I'm, I'm going to leave, right? Well, okay, kids, I guess you can come on my back. Um, I'll push you in the stroller. We're going to hike 10 miles before we can get to the main road. And then, right, that's, that's not going to happen. So All I'm right. so financially destitute. I'm like, I, it, there was no option until I could fix and remedy that for myself for sure. But I think the low self-worth as well as financial really are physical barriers that stop and block us from, from leaving. And yeah. then there's that hook of hope. Mm-hmm. My my friend in California, she talks a lot about the hook of hope. Where when we started this adventure together, it obviously wasn't like this. So the hope is the change will happen. The hope is maybe today it will be different. The hope is I know all these things have happened, but today was a great day, and maybe it can continue. The hook yeah. of hope is devastating. Yeah. And we have to really look at what has happened, know and understand the pattern, and know and understand that you're right, he has the opportunity to make choices, to change his way, but that's probably not gonna happen with me because the choices he's been making with me are this. And that ideal that we were shooting for or in my mind I was shooting for I know it's not going to come to pass. So I need to leave this behind. Uh, Pray for him, wish him well. Hey, change can happen. I believe in Christ. I believe in the atonement. I believe that all of that opportunity is open for us. But ultimately, like anything we've ever heard about, like with alcoholics or anything, they have to hit their bottom in order to make the change. Right. So we have to drop that hook of hope allow them that time to do that, but not, not with me and not on the kids. Yeah. That's not mine. I
1: have to, I have to walk now. Right. And what I tell a lot of women and we, most women see this anyway, the man you marry and the man that you married are two different men. (laughs) (laughs) You come in believing he's this awesome, sweet, kind, generous, loving service oriented guy Who would bend over backwards for you and then some other guy shows up and he has the same face as your guy and and you're like I don't even know who you are and I don't like you and they're really mean they're abusive they're verbally and sexually and psychologically and physically abusive nothing like the guy that I married. Right, but uh, that's who you are, really, and so sometimes we think, you know what, he'll just, he'll go back to normal shortly, so, you know, <laughs> right? We'll, we'll just stick this out, because this isn't the guy I married, I don't know this guy, I don't like this guy, but this guy's just temporary, that's what we think, and we keep telling yeah. ourselves that until we can no longer tell ourselves that, and say, oh, okay, so this is who he really is, this is who he's been all along, the other person was for show to get me to marry him or to get me to you know move in or whatever it is that we do before that abuse starts right
0: yeah it it hooks I, I talk about abuse in two situations I talk about abusers as they are either a hunter or they are a caged animal so abusers who are hunters They're the ones that groom their prey, very much what you just talked about. They groom Mm -hmm. their prey, they pull them in, they draw them in, just like a hunter will as he's hunting, Mm -hmm. doing all of those ploys in place to get a hold of you to catch the prey. I'm glad you you said that. (laughs) Yeah, and now a a caged animal is slightly different, but the result of abuse is the same. A caged animal is caged by their own fear, their own pain, their own panic, their, their own anxiety. And just like a caged animal, as you approach the cage, they, are, they have to make a split choice decision. Are they here to help me or to hurt me, help me or hurt me? I'm going right. with hurt, and they strike out because they mm-hmm. don't know. So my, the, the abuse we suffer from definitely was in that caged animal piece of things um, because of the mental illness he suffered with, with the schizophrenia, as well as with the drug addiction so numbing to try and shut off his voices that constantly barraged him. Mm. And at the same time, here I am. And there are points where I can break through and then suddenly that voice in his head, that person is going to pop up. And at that point, I'm the enemy suddenly. And yeah. I will, the, the strike will happen, whether it was physically, emotionally, financially, that's, that's where it went. So we have those hunters or we have the caged animals. Right. I did a show on grooming a couple of weeks ago.
1: Um, I, I, you know, the, the worst person in the world, I think, to date would be me because I watch for everything. Right. And I'm dating this guy and he's starting to groom me. And I'm like, are wow. you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, I am not the person to be doing this to. <laughs> So, I love coming to the Jesus meeting with all of his um, ecclesiastical leaders, if you will. Anyway, (laughs) because I watched him and then I noticed he was grooming other women too. So I said, Oh, no, Mm -mm, he's done. And he's done. (laughs) He is completely done. Um, So, anyway yeah, I'm not the person to, to go out with. I've decided <laughs> people get, well, I'm probably not even the person to hang out with. If you're a guy because I watch everything you say, in fact, believe it or not, I was in a meeting. It was a domestic violence meeting meeting. There's probably 30 other uh, groups in there from different domestic violence groups. And this cop started and, you know, 43% of all law enforcement are uh, DV. So, um, he started to attack me and I'm like, okay, let's just keep going because I'm going to start counting how many personality disorders you have. And he, before (laughs) he even stopped and, which was about, you know, one or two minutes into it, I counted, you know, three narcissistic and two borderline. So I'm like, you know what? And if, if you, and not one person in the room said a word, it's because a lot of times we don't know what's happening. Number one, we think cops are to take care of us, right? Like my ex-husband, I thought, oh, he will take care of me. I trust him explicitly. He's supposed to take care of me. And so when he abused me, I'm like, oh, he's he's doing this to take care of me. Or, you know, your mind is trying to rationalize why he would do this, right? And uh, I didn't know as much about domestic violence. I didn't know anything about domestic violence when I was married to him. And uh, so... It's so frequent in life that even when we know a lot about domestic violence, we won't stand up against it because we trust the person that's doing it. If we don't trust the person, someone we don't know, you stand up and you say, you will stop that and you will do it now. Um, yeah. But anyway. Yeah, it's,
0: so. it's really interesting um, where if a total stranger broke into your home and did the things that happen in domestic violence, The world would be outraged. How could a stranger come in and do all that? Oh, he's your husband? Uh, Well, good luck. (laughs) What's that about? What is that about? I mean, it's really interesting. I use that little um, analogy in some of the places where I speak, and it's quiet. They're like, "Eh." it's so interesting how we have been groomed. And, yeah, we just need to – that's why I wrote the book. We need to open up the conversation and have it real – and it's not it's, – it's an in-your-face re- reality that can change. These are decisions. Eighty-seven thousand women are killed every year in the most preventable death, which yeah. is domestic violence. Right. And it's in fact, not cancer. It's not anything else that's right. attacking from – this is absolutely 100% preventable. Right. And
1: you were saying in Texas it's thirty seven percent of all homicides are domestic violence related, right?
0: That's our latest numbers. and are that is that what is the percentage of women? Um, I'll have to research that out. Let me look on the general thing. I'll I will send that to you in, in show notes or whatever.
1: Okay. And um I will tell you this that um in Utah it's forty percent which is a little bit higher than Texas, but it's a hundred percent women. Wow. And so when they say 90%, 96% of all women are the, um, victims of domestic violence, uh, I would say in Utah, it's probably a little higher. Wow. But anyway, so you recently gave a book to Skip Pritchard, the CEO of OCLC, a global nonprofit computer library service. And, um, research
0: organization so why did you give that to him well that is a great um i love the i love the phrase that was a god thing <laughs> it's absolutely yeah i love true. that <laughs> so i had an opportunity to conference to watch him give a, a great speech and so as he's talking um i get this strong little nudge that says you've got to get that book into his hands and i'm like well you okay we'll do that <laughs> and i'm just thinking. At first, I wanted to go into the doubt of how can I do that? He's so busy. It's just my book, right? I wanted to go into that, into what I call my shame shadow, because that's comfortable, yeah. right there. I can, mm-hmm. I can put put myself in my little comfort cage and stay right there. Well, <laughs> before I went into that, about I would say probably two words into my familiar little self doubt speech, I was like, "No, gonna do the God thing. Signed it." held on to it, watched the speech, which was fantastic, great. And then suddenly I had to leave the conference really quickly to use the restroom. Maybe it was those nine kids that I've had jumping on my bladder all those years. I was like, wow, <laughs> I got to go right now. <laughs> so we took off running. And as I was running, I was noticing, oh, it's a book in my hand. This is okay, whatever. Do my business, come running out of the restrooms, smack into Skip Pritchard like smack I was like wow hi um (laughs) here's my book (laughs) if you would like it it was I stumbled over all of my words I was completely just flabbergasted but I handed it off and sure enough it went great he he took it and off he ran because he was doing a book signing right then so that's why he was running in the hall and that's why I ran into him and I quickly looked down. The, the queue, the lineup was already, already there. And I just thought, oh, yay, it's in his hands, and we're just going to leave it at that. Yeah. And three days later, at the end of this conference that I had, um, he sought me out, and he approached me, and he said, I just finished reading your book this morning. I couldn't put it down. <laughs> I was,
1: I How was amazing. thinking
0: back, and everyone at the table was like, Get an interview. Get it with you. So my husband, who's standing there, he shakes my husband's hand. He says, you are real. Because he's just read the book about how many people have not been real in my life. Have been mm-hmm. a figment of someone else's imagination, and so he shook his hand and said, "You're absolutely real. This is fantastic." So my husband quickly filmed a sweet little review, and it it was so great. And he just recommended it to so many people because it gives people that hope, that light, that there is something beyond this. And uh, I was I was honored, and it was it was fantastic. And, and now he corresponds with me here and there, and and it, it's it's an honor. It feels just great. So yeah. Now, is he from Texas, or where is he from? He is from, originally from Maryland, and now lives in Columbus, Ohio area, yeah. Oh, in Columbus,
1: Ohio, and he was just in um, Texas speaking, is that what you're saying?
0: I was actually in Ohio for this conference, and uh, he had been an invited speaker to come and share, because it was an author's conference, Igniting Souls conference, all of us were there, and... um, we just had that same commonality of sharing our good stories and books with others and wanting to, you know, go out and make the impact in the world that we can. And mm-hmm. he was invited to to come and share and partake in some of that and give us that that knowledge and leadership that that we can and and things are going to be great. So, it was fantastic. Oh, sounds
1: fantastic. Maybe you can share some of that with me later on.
0: You bet, you bet. You <laughs> bet. you bet I would love to that
1: would be be wonderful so uh,
0: what is the name of your book again Pinpoints of Light Escaping the Abyss of Abuse and just give us a
1: short synopsis of that sure so
0: if you have ever felt like if you've seen a picture of the sunrise or a sunset, how do you know which direction it actually is if you're looking at the still shot? You don't know if the sun is rising or if it's setting. And so when I married my first husband, I thought that I thought that we were going into a, a, a sunrise, right? A new beginning, right. a sunrise, when actually we were going down into a sunset, into one of the darkest quote nights of my life. I stayed in that marriage for nine years and tried to make every kind of go of it as much as possible because we had the same goals. We had the same background. We had the same faith. We had so many things in common. But what we didn't know about was the other person in the marriage, which were all of his, what I used to call his mind friends. And going through all of that And having, we did like five cycles of healthiness, things were going better, um, repentance, coming back to church, going to counseling, and then stress of another construction, another, because he was a general contractor, so he would build and sell homes, and then we would kind of spiral down, and by that time, I would usually find out I was pregnant, have another child, and then it would take a year or two to try to come back, rebound, bounce back, and we'd be back on the path of repentance and back to counseling. And and again, I'd find myself pregnant again, and then it would spiral down. So we had those five cycles within those nine years, and I finally realized that the hook of hope was just going to continue in this pattern. I guess after nine years. I'm not really a quick learner. But after yeah. those nine years, I thought that this looks like a pattern and uh, yeah. Yeah. I think we're done. <laughs> so at that point, we, um, I told him that we were going to divorce and I won't share the rest because that's in the book <laughs> okay. and how we escaped is a big piece of it. And what I found in writing the book was how crucial supporters are family yeah. members, Friends, as well as coworkers, they literally right. saved my life in so many aspects during the escape and beyond. Without the supporters, I would have gone back. Right. They were the ultimate gift and, and that so valuable. Is,
1: that's normal. That's why people go back. They need support on the outside.
0: They need support, exactly. And so I share in my programs now called the Supporters Toolkit. I teach people, family members, friends, coworkers, how to become an ultimate supporter, how to become a Gloria. And that's a story in the book that we'll share later. All right. <laughs> that's good and suspenseful. <laughs> yes.
1: Good. Yeah, uh, your your book sounds good. And I have a copy. I just haven't read it yet because I've been working on my dissertation, as you know. And uh, so I will definitely well, I'll get, get you to that. A free, soon.
0: I'll get you a free audiobook. So you can, oh, you're even better because
1: I have to. I have a 30 minute drive to work. <laughs> there you go.
0: You will. You will get this done, girl. I will send oh, good. you that information. And if anyone else needs it, I can totally send them a free copy of the audiobook. And that would be something that would be fantastic for so oh, some people. awesome. Okay, so they can just email me,
1: and I'll forward that to you. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, do you feel that your book's going to become a movie?
0: Yes, for sure. Excellent. This book is going to become a movie. Yes, it is. Um, when Skip Pritchard was giving me a review, he said it read cinematically, which as a writer was like the best compliment ever because that's how I wanted it to be. So many editors right. were like, share with us what you learned. And I'm like, I will, but that's the second book. Let me share yeah. the story. So I did. Yeah. And in in writing it in the way that it did, it just flowed. And he said, I saw everything. I could feel everything. I felt like I was in a movie. And yeah. It's like, all right. Excellent. We're doing this. And and what do you think it would be important for it to become
1: a movie? I think. I mean, I can give so you my important- opinion, but...
0: <laughs> well, go ahead. Let's see. No, no. You go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that a movie like this again opens the door for incredible conversations to happen. I feel yeah. that Many people will start to identify, see patterns, and start to look at it as opposed to this romance of what can occur in, you know, how a hunter grooms you and that whole prey, all of that. They'll start to see past that and beyond that. And that's the power. That is the most amazing thing that we can really share with people to say, wait a minute, this feels wrong. This feels off. Follow that. Follow that. And these are the conversations that we want to have
1: for sure. Yeah.
0: And, and lastly, I want to ask you, what is 10 for 10,000? Ah, 10 for 10,000. This is a campaign that we are running. um, And what we're doing is people who have the book to recommend to 10 other people, the book. Um, And as those 10 people read the book, purchases it, purchase it, then they share with another set of 10. And then those 10 talk about it and share with another set of 10. So we can get started with just 10 people and end up with 10,000 pretty quickly who know the story, who have gone through, you know, Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble or whatever it is that they want to get the book from. And in that way, the conversations open up even more and we get that much closer to creating and developing the movie which in turn will then impact millions and millions more
1: excellent you know it's so important to get the word out and I love the route that you're going it's absolutely amazing thank you I think we all need to work to educate the community educate ourselves educate our friends um I want people to see these people coming and going. And like you said, grooming happens a lot. And yep. uh, it, it I was just in shock. I thought this guy that I was going out with was absolutely wonderful. I thought he was religious. He was so kind and caring and loving and, and everything. And then I started to watch him groom me. I'm like, are, are you serious? <laughs> so I let it continue to try. I watched what he did. And then I watched him. In other settings and I'm like oh my gosh so that's why I took action and did something and if we Good can job. stop the groomers we've got you know we got this in the bag and um, that's right so
0: that's right I'm if I can share really quickly um in July of this year 2019 um I had an experience where we discovered that there was another victim since I left over, over 12 mm. years ago um, there have been nine victims besides myself that have been mm. placed in domestic violence situations, and as well as stalked. A lot of stalking happening by perpetrator, um, the majority is what of these you're saying? people. Yes, by my ex-husband, mm. and the majority of these people are teenage girls because he's looking for mm. my daughter. He hasn't uh, seen her for almost 13 years, and he's still looking for her because he sexually abused her when she was very little, and. Mm. He constantly is out there. He gets the slap on the hand, 10 days, 30 days in jail, no big deal, released out. They never get anything. probation. They never get it. So Mm -mm. he's not on the sex registry. Nothing. Nothing has Mm. happened. But in July, when we heard about the ninth victim, I approached my husband, Scott, and I said, we're at a crossroads here. We have been safe. For 12 years we have stayed mm-hmm. hidden and we're safe mm-hmm. if we continue this route we're good but more and more girls this is going to continue I said are we ready to stand up and fight back and he's like I gotcha we're here we're ready and so we went after it I went with the fight and approached the judges approached anyone that we could in the DA's office, anything that way to really emphasize that the pattern of behavior has been established, stop releasing him. And uh, we fought a really good fight and I took it to the media directly. And um, all up there in Utah, KSL, they did a whole media spread on him for two straight nights. And Brittany Glass was amazing. She was an amazing reporter that dug in deep. We still have contact with her, and she gives me follow-up reports. He is currently um, in jail uh, on different charges, (laughs) but now, uh, because he's been there for so long, these other charges are now starting to apply. He's had three court dates. Uh, The the most recent one was on the 30th of October, and he will have another one on the 13th of November. And we hope to see that now he's finally being charged with a felony, finally, finally. That means he'll be off the streets for so much longer than these 10 days, 30 days, 60 days. And that is a huge win for the community. That's a huge win for him, right? Yeah. He gets to, I can't imagine, what what was a big turning point in all of this is that my oldest son said, great, look what my dad is up to. And I heard so much laced into that which said more than just what the words said right if he really perpetrates even further and possibly kills someone i just the impact for my children to know that their father has damaged killed even taken a life at this point mm. what how do you heal from that as the child right we've done nothing but counseling healing, work, all those things for the past 12 years. And they still have things to work through, and they probably always will. But they can feel and realize, hey, this is healthy, and uh, this is not so much. And that's the best thing I can do as a mother. I'm raising five boys. I'm raising four daughters. I have to be the one to help and turn and project this into a way that really can make the difference. Right
1: so yeah. It's crazy. Well, it's wonderful. Um I'm glad Thank that you. he's behind bars. I'm glad that uh you stood up and you know what? That's the scariest thing. That's the absolute scariest thing. Yeah. Um Absolutely. I wish all of would be behind bars except for you know, we have a way way too many it'd be overpopulated. <laughs> <Just Right. saying. laughs> Right, But I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I know you got to get back to school and I so appreciate your help. You're absolutely wonderful. And, and I just feel such a kinship with you because of your, your desire to get it out there.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. And don't forget. I love you. Aww,
1: love you and we'll be, was, we'll be getting it together. Soon. It was, I yeah. mean, how
0: often, you know, you were at my table. That was just crazy. It was. It was great. And opening up a conversation. I mean, when you go there arriving, you know, as a speaker, you want to attend yeah. every conference with just love and support. And how can I serve someone? And I just saw the table open there, and I thought, I'm going to yeah. sit by her. She, I'm, I'm sitting down. And sure enough, there we are. Yeah, <laughs> It's a God thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, love. I
1: love you, and I will talk to you soon. Have a good one, and thank you for coming on. Have a good night. Thank
0: you so much. Okay. Uh Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: I want to thank you for coming on tonight. It was an amazing talk. I so appreciate her, what she had to say. I hope you take it in, in, uh, read her book, go to her site, and listen to her on her public speaking. Have a good night.